0: So 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ, I always thank God, my God, for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crippus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Uh, it'll help
1: enormously to have that passage open in front of you as we work our way through it tonight. Uh, just a heads up, um, at Uni Church, one of our habits is to leave some time after the sermon uh, for a kind of live Q&A. Um, I'll finish, we'll sing a song and then I'll jump back up and yeah, happy for you to ask any questions. Some people are uh, inside processes, and if you need time to think about it, and shoot me an email during the week, that's fine. But some of us are out loud processes, and if you've got a, a question that occurs to you as you go through, feel free to jot that down and ask it later. There will be time for that. Tonight we're starting off a new series as semester begins. Uh, a new series in the book of First Corinthians. And I thought we'd start by taking a look at what other churches call their sermons on 1 Corinthians. Uh, So this is uh, one of them, um, one of a few graphics that I've got. uh, Beautiful mess. Here's another. Messy grace. Uh, A study in 1 Corinthians. This one, a broken kind of beautiful. Can you get a sense of the theme that's emerging from these? Uh, What about this one? Following Jesus in a jacked up church, what does that mean? Can someone please help me? Are they on drugs? Uh, I don't understand that. Uh, But you get the point, right? There's something messed up about the Corinthians. Uh, A quick survey of these different graphics, uh, you can tell. And so 1 Corinthians is a letter sent by the Apostle Paul uh, to this church with issues. He wants to straighten them out which, of course, is no use to us because we have a perfect church, so we'll just be looking at it as a historical oddity and then passing by. Just kidding. Uh, You can see how this is going to help us, right? If it really is about a a broken church that's got issues and how to to refocus on Jesus, uh, then it's going to help us a lot. In Corinth, we get to see a church with all its flaws, warts and all. Oh, There's another one. Uh, We're not going to use that graphic as our church uh, theme, but there's another one. Warts and all, 1 Corinthians. So tonight, as we work our way through uh, this first little section, we're going to see two things. We're going to look at the church of God in Corinth and the God of Corinth in the church. Church of God in Corinth and the God of Corinth in the church. So firstly, uh, come with me to verse 2. This uh, letter is sent to the Church of God in Corinth. So we're in Corinth, and so first we need to get a handle on the city itself. What is this place like? Uh, So here's Corinth, right? Uh, It's 500 years BC. Uh, The Greek Empire is in charge of the world. Uh, So it's kind of the Mediterranean area. Alexander the Great is doing his thing, 500 BC. And Corinth is a big deal, right? It's right there, right near Athens, one of the major cities of Greece. Uh, And that's a bad thing. Because when the Roman Empire rises, uh, they come across and Corinth are the ones that stand up to them and put up a big fight and Rome destroys them, wipes them out. There's nothing there for 100 years afterwards. That's how much they flatten the city. But, as you can tell, it's an awesome location and that matters in real estate. So uh, it didn't take too long. Eventually, in 44 BC, Corinth gets rebuilt by Julius Caesar and suddenly the city is back, baby. Uh, The thing that makes Corinth such an important location is the fact that it's on an isthmus. So, you know, think back to year nine geography. Uh, An isthmus is like this narrow neck of land that joins uh, two seas. And so uh, what would happen is if you were sailing around the Mediterranean, um, to go all the way around kind of the bottom of Greece took a long time and it was really dangerous. And so instead of doing that, people would... Uh, sail into Corinth and unload all their cargo and cart it overland to the other side and then load it onto a new ship and, and go off. And it was actually way, way better. Uh, kind of imagine you're hiking down south and you have a choice. You can, you can hike around Albany and continue on your way or you can just stop in Albany and stay in a hotel for a couple of nights and then move on. That was the choice they faced and it was pretty obvious that everyone's going to go through Corinth. And so this isthmus becomes this kind of juncture point uh, for, for everything. Um, north, south, the road traffic, all of the ocean traffic, ships, everything. And so uh, suddenly uh, Corinth is back. And to start a new city, right, from the ground up, uh, you need to stock it with people. You can't wait for, for families to, to grow up. You need to bring people in. And so Rome stocked Corinth uh, with freedmen. That is, former slaves who had bought their freedom uh, from their masters. And so suddenly, uh, you've got the perfect storm for an economic boom. This prime trading location, sailors and merchants coming through all the time, a bunch of people who want to get ahead. And and so it's all new money, right? It's people there uh, getting rich, splashing the cash. This is what Corinth is like. And that, in turn, attracts artists and craftsmen and philosophers and religious groups, and everyone kind of converges on this place. And so, of course, you get every kind of vice and dodginess happening in Corinth: prostitution and gambling. Uh, they actually came up with a new word, "Corinthianize," basically meant to get drunk and have sex uh, to Corinthianize. Imagine that, your city is so dodgy that they come up with a new verb uh, about it. Uh, imagine if that uh, got done for Perth. Let's Perth this party. Yeah. Let's make it finish at nine o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> but Corinth is is not like that. Uh, Corinth is New York crossed with Las Vegas. Uh, here's another um, excellent graphic. Doesn't have any line, uh, but... It kind of, the picture says everything. Uh, this is Corinth. Welcome to First Corinthians. So we've got the church of God in Corinth. But here's the important thing. It's the church of God. The church of God in Corinth. See, God has brought this thing to life. In the middle of this dodgy, greedy, ambitious city... We have this church. God has made a church come alive. Have a look there, verse 2. This is of God. He writes, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. God has called a people out of this messy city and he's sanctified them. He's made them his own, he's called them out to be different to the city. Or have a look at verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. See that everything they have is from God. They've received God's grace. They've been saved. He says they've been enriched in every way. They have everything. And then verse 8, he says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is the one who has established them, started them off, And he's the one who's going to guarantee them through to the end. Here's another graphic. Um, This one. Sanctified mess. Sure, messy, but they belong to God. Sanctified, set apart for him. So it's the church of God in Corinth. But, I don't know if you noticed it in the reading. We hit verse 10 and what do we find? Uh, the God of Corinth in the church. Uh, we find divisions. There in verse 11, it kind of explains it. Uh, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Uh, obviously, no one has told Chloe that snitches get stitches. Um, so she has, uh, someone from her household has dobbed on the Corinthians uh, to Paul uh, that there are divisions quarrels, factions. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Yeah, well, I follow Christ, how's that? Huh? You know, like, suddenly they've, they've managed to form these cliques, these rivalries, uh, maybe within the church, maybe rival house churches uh, in the city. And it doesn't seem to be over theological differences. You know, that would be worth dividing over. Paul would would say, no, if someone's distorting the gospel, you, you can't kind of be in fellowship with them. But it's not about that. It seems like it's about personality. Who has the coolest pastor? Whose teaching style is the most impressive? And Paul says, no. He wants unity, verse 10. He wants them to agree in what they say. It's like a it's like a turn of phrase. He says he wants them to get on the same page, to sing from the same song sheet, to speak with one voice. He wants them to be allies, not rivals. And turns out, yep, there's a sermon graphic for that as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians, a house divided. So there's divisions in the church. Divisions are the problem, but what's behind the Divisions. What is, what's driving all this? See, the real problem uh, is there's too much Corinth in them. They've got the God of Corinth in the church. And their God is honour. Their God is honour. See, in Corinth, people wanted to climb the social ladder to gain honour. Honour. And one of the ways you did that was by linking yourself to people. They had this whole uh, system of patronage. Um, You know, if you had money, you would sponsor people, artists, craftsmen, philosophers. Um, Kind of like, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, they're always spruiking how you can support them on Patreon. Um, It's taking that exact same idea. But in Corinth, patronage brought honour. To the patron depending on who they were supporting but also for for who your patron was that brought you honor and so somehow that has seeped into the church this this idea of patronage has rubbed off in the church and they're thinking you know i'm going to be with paul and i'm going to be with apollos and and he's a much better speaker and suddenly they want this honour to rub off on them. And so they started boasting about it. Whoever uh, their guy was, they wanted the honour that came with that. And that's why um, Paul goes off on this rant about how he hardly baptised anybody, except for maybe these couple of guys. You know, because he says, that's not what it's about. I didn't come here to kind of grab a special gang and, and make a special uh, group just for myself. No, he says, I came to preach the gospel. Right there in verse 17. He says, I came to preach the gospel, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Didn't come to form a little group that belonged just to me. Came for the life-giving message of Jesus. But that little G God of Corinth has snuck in there. There's more. Have a look at verse 17, the next bit. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, he says not with wisdom and eloquence. Even in the preaching of the gospel, it seems that the Corinthians were on the lookout for honour. What would be most honourable in that? What would look most impressive? Paul has to say, I wasn't on about looking good. I wasn't on about wisdom and eloquence. Because the Corinthians really were. That's what they loved. Now, at one level, wisdom and eloquence sounds like something that you'd want in a sermon. You might secretly wish for a little more tonight. But in Corinth, public speaking was was like a whole thing. It was like an art form. Like, and they, they consumed it and they, they analysed it for, for what they liked best. Like the way that you watch YouTube, that's how they listened to public speakers. It was like a form of entertainment. And the thing that you were looking for was wisdom of words. That was the, the phrase. Could they move you with a play on words, some rhetorical flourish... Did they have eloquence to sweep you up and and make you feel things? Uh, This is a quote from Cicero. He's a famous uh, Roman statesman and he's talking about this, this concept of eloquence. He says it like this. He was a great writer. He says, Eloquence rushes along with the roar of a mighty stream which all look up to and admire and which they despair of attaining. This eloquence has power to sway men's minds and move them in every possible way. Now it storms the feelings. Now it creeps in. It implants new ideas and uproots the old. They loved it. It was what they were about. And again, you might think, isn't that a good thing in preaching? Well, Paul says no. Because eloquence brought honour worldly honour. And Paul says that empties the cross of its power. Verse 17, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, to preach with that kind of rhetorical wizardry means that the impact is really coming from the skill of the preacher, not from the cross of Christ. It strips the cross of its impact. But it's more than just that. It's also kind of important at this meta level. See, the medium has to fit the message. That is, the way you communicate a message uh, needs to match the message itself. So like, you know, you know when you're a kid, and your parents made you say "Sorry, maybe to a brother and sister," and you'd obviously go up and go, "Sorry." <laughs> can you see Can you see how the message i 'm sorry does not fit the manner in which that 's delivered? The medium and the message need to be the same, and the same is true for the gospel. See if the message is man brutally executed to save us from our utter sinfulness, then you can 't have that packaged up in this slick, shiny, impressive style that mimics exactly what the world uses when it want to look, wants to look good. Right? That, it just doesn't fit. It empties the cross of its power. See, when a weak and shameful message brings salvation, that's when you know it's God's power at work. God is doing something incredible there. Now, we're gonna, uh, there'll be more about that next week. Uh, That's a big part of uh, where he goes next. But for now, can you see what's happening here in Corinth? By separating into these factions, the Corinthians were saying, yeah, we don't really want to be on about the cross. That's a bit gross. Uh, We're more concerned with looking good and who we can attach ourselves to. They've got the God of Corinth in the church. Here's another graphic that I really like. Um, church in the city. And you could say uh, the city in the church. I like that image, the mixture of the apostle and the city itself. So, uh, what about us? What about us? Uh, Well, I've got a couple of things uh, that I just want us to run through that kind of match what we've seen so far. Uh, Just to think through how this applies to us as a church. Uh, We've seen that Paul uh, calls uh, the Corinthians, he says the the letter is to the Church of God in Corinth. And we should see that we are the Church of God in Perth, aren't we? Uh, Not all of it, but one little piece of it. People called by God, established by Him, given grace, enriched with gifts of the Spirit... Paul starts his letter with thanksgiving. He gives thanks for them. And we shouldn't miss that. You know, often you read over that introductory bit so quickly, but we shouldn't miss that we ought to be thankful. Thankful. God has made us into a church. Made us his special people. He's made us his children. Isn't that incredible? We were nobody. And he's called us if you trust in the Lord Jesus. So be thankful. And be humble. Be humble. Whatever we have here, uh, we didn't earn it. I think that's the the point of uh, Paul's thanksgiving. He says, you know, you didn't earn this as if it can bring you some kind of honour. It was given to you. It was grace. Uh, In chapter 4, Paul's going to ask the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? Everything's been given to you. And the same's true for us. Uh, We didn't make something of ourselves. We didn't prove ourselves to God and uh, get selected because we were the most impressive. No. In fact, we only brought our sinfulness and he's saved us. We can't get puffed up here. Humble and thankful. So here's a question to ask. Um, If you invited a friend along to church, is that what they they would pick up about us? That we are humble and thankful. That we owe everything to God. How would you need to talk to your friends about your Christian life for them to get that sense uh, from you? That you're humble and thankful. Uh, Last night, I had the privilege of being at Ezra's baptism. Ezra, where are you? Over there. Um... Uh, So Ezra Ezra got baptised last night. Uh, It was a great privilege to be there. And as part of that, uh, Ezra gave his testimony, the the story of uh, how he became a Christian, how God had worked in his life. And I'm happy to say it was exactly that, humble and thankful, those two words. Uh, It was a joy to see him get baptised and to point all the glory uh, and all the honour to God and what God had done in him. We're the Church of God in Perth, so be humble and thankful. Uh, But maybe cutting a little bit deeper now, let's ask the next question. We saw the God of Corinth in their church. Will we find the God of Perth in our church? Now, uh, we could analyse our culture, Um, you know, try and work out what the idols of Perth really are. Um, But I think, let's just take the easy route. Let's just ask if we've got the same problem the Corinthians had. Let's just ask that. Do we split into factions because we care about worldly honour? Or, to put it a different way, do we hang out in specific groups because we worry about what other people will think of us? Do we have cliques because we want to look good? That's a kind of modern way of saying exactly what the Corinthians are struggling with. They want worldly honour and so they want to attach themselves to the right people. Now I want to say this as gently as possible because I know that it's hard to come to church Uh, to walk in on your own and maybe you don't know many people and of course you're worried about what people will think of you and you know we do want a group of friends that we can connect with and and all of that's good but we do need to watch out for that attitude that cares more about worldly honour or very quickly our church will become a place where there's an in crowd and outsiders and uh, people who are haves and have nots or You know, competing groups that look down on each other and judge each other. Maybe some questions can diagnose our hearts here. Have you ever not gone to a party you've been invited to because that person kind of wasn't in, wasn't attractive enough in a worldly sense? Do we curate our social media so that we don't Get connected with uncool Christians. You know, like I'd never I'd never like one of her posts on Instagram because I don't want that to be seen that I'm with her. Stuff like that, it can't be us. It really can't. Because that makes a mockery of the cross. See, the cross is shameful. And so church can't be about us coming here to make ourselves look good and attach ourselves to the right people and to try and gain some kind of honour for ourselves. And just like in Corinth, divisions and cliques really expose that. They expose that we love that worldly honour and we're not on about Jesus and the cross. And so we have to let the cross shape us shape what we're like, shape how we treat each other, how we treat each other as people who have been loved by God, chosen and called by him, made new, even through the shameful humiliation of the cross. We need that as our focus. We can't have our focus on worldly honour. How can we make the name of Uni Church great or how can I make my name great over other people? We have to be on about the cross of Christ, the humble, shameful thing that saves us and sanctifies us as God's people. So, after all that, what are we going to have as our graphic for this sermon series on 1 Corinthians here at Unichurch? Cute that you thought I was organised enough to have a graphic ready for tonight. That's nice. Um, I'll take that as a vote of confidence. Uh, That's not the case. At any rate, too much pressure to put up our uh, graphic now after all of this, all of this lead-up. But here's an old one. Uh, This is from old, old uni-church, the last time we looked at 1 Corinthians together. The naked church, uh, life, love, and 1 Corinthians with weird sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think what's going on here is that as Paul writes to the church in Corinth uh, he puts them in the spotlight and by reading it we put ourselves in the spotlight too the spotlight comes on us as a church our church our Christian lives and really exposes us it's the, it's the naked church kind of laid bare And so it's going to be a series where we ask hard questions of ourselves and our fellowship because God has called us, he has sanctified us to be his people and we want to live that way and we need to uh, listen in uh, to this word to the Corinthians. Um, Paul wanted them to be shaped around the cross of Christ and I think we want to lean into that and hear those uh, instructions, those challenges as well across the course of this semester.